0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the Penny Lane Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. Blaine is going to be joined by Justin Weintraub to discuss investing in crypto, real estate and the booming field of sports gambling. Make sure you are subscribing to the Penny Lane Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, as well as our YouTube channel. Today's show is brought to you by Aries, Last Bottle Wines and pennies going in raw. The stock market is hotter than ever right now,
1: and traders are taking advantage. But what does that mean for the people who still haven't started trading? The market can be a little intimidating at first, but you don't have to be alone in the learning experience. We at the Pennies Going In Raw podcast are here to help you. I'm Dan, and with my co-host Hugh Henney, we make the stock market a fun but informative experience for our listeners. We offer knowledge for all levels of traders, from beginners to those who do it full-time. On PGIR, we discuss up-to-date news about the stock market and interview other traders who all started out just like us and made it big. You'll hear from Hugh and other multi-millionaire traders, founders and CEOs of companies, FinTwit superstars, and even professional athletes. Have you ever thought about investing your hard-earned cash but don't know where to start? Do you have money just sitting in your savings account collecting dust? We were all there once too. Listen to Penny's Going In Raw on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Justin, hi. Welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast.
3: Hey, Blaine. Glad to be here. I'm so, for me.
2: so glad to have you. You know, my co-host's name is Justin, so I really have an affinity for the name.
3: Well, I hope I uh, live up to the name's <laughs> Billing from the podcast.
2: <laughs> I wish he could be here. He would really like you, but... <laughs> Can't just us today.
3: Well, um, looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's been so the podcast just turned a year, so it's been at least a year since I've wanted you to come on. So thrilled.
3: Well, glad we finally made it work and congrats on the one year anniversary.
2: Thank you. So, uh, to the listeners, Justin and I know each other because. My husband's best friend's sister is married to Justin. Very so simple. I feel we could call it, like, best friend-in-laws, kind of. That's, that works. Yeah, I mean, basically as close to, like, my brother-in-law as you could get. Brother-in-law twice removed, because it's we're all sort of family anyway, you know? Hey,
3: that works. <laughs> We've, uh... We've we've shared many of uh celebrations and a Jimmy Buffett concert, so that's close to a, a family tie.
2: If you don't become family at a Jimmy Buffett concert, then you've done the concert wrong. That's right. Yeah. So um I wanted to have you on and I really have no idea exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. I just I knew you would be a good guest. <laughs>
3: well um that makes two of us because uh i'm glad to be here but i'm not exactly sure what we're going to talk about but look forward to doing it anyway
2: sure um so have you ever so mac who is my husband's best friend told me that there were some um podcast koozies down at the beach really yeah have you listened to the podcast
3: um yes i have i have uh listened to a handful of episodes um that i've randomly came across one when I, I saw you were uh, talking about it from the early days and then I called another one when you and I were trading some text messages about the crypto space. So
2: uh-huh.
3: um, I would say enough to be dangerous.
2: Oh, perfect. Um, well, some things we could talk about could be investing or crypto or sports betting. And I've never had anybody on who knows anything about sports betting. So I'm going to let you choose what you want to talk about.
3: Um, we can go in any direction you want. I'm happy to talk about sports betting. It's uh, always a fun topic. Um, so we can we can go there, and if we want to touch on some crypto stuff too, I'm um, uh, enough to be uh, knowledgeable of, of from a dan- enough to be dangerous on both subjects.
2: Well, tell me. Let's start with crypto. Actually, tell me sort of your background and how you how you know about crypto.
3: Yeah, so crypto um, to me is fascinating. It was a really close friend of mine that introduced it to me, um, I guess, summer of COVID um, back in 20. Um, kind of a silver lining, at least for me, from an interest standpoint that came out of COVID of spending so much time um, with friends. And uh, we were actually on a, a, a friend trip sans kids um, in the summer. Um, of that summer and we were talking about various things and started talking about crypto and like many I was extremely skeptical um, about the space and and the more and more um, we got to talking about it um, he convinced me to to dabble in it um, after that trip and so that kind of started my journey into the space.
2: Okay so what so you get home from the trip and what what broker? How did you get started? Did you open up a an account? Did you get on? I don't think Robinhood was doing crypto at the time.
3: No, I was Coinbase, so I Co- went out okay. of the gate. Okay, right Coinbase. out the gate,
2: very official.
3: Yes. Oh, question:
2: um, When you start your Coinbase, and you have to write down your like twelve word thing. You know what I'm talking about?
3: Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. The yeah, key yeah, phrase. Yeah. That was extremely nerve-wracking.
2: Okay. <laughs> of course. Of course. Do you have that, like, locked? Does Anne, your wife, know where it is? Do you have it, like, under lock and key?
3: Well, I think one of, like, the key... They they, they stress security so much and of your key phrase that, like, saying it on this... Top podcast. No, no, no. Probably like violates a security <laughs> protocol of the key phrase.
2: I don't want to know your key phrase. I just want to know how much security you have around or your where key it's phrase. kept.
3: Right. I'm putting right. my wife's life in jeopardy by disclosing <laughs> that she's the keeper of the key phrase. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, uh, that that was one of those things that was pretty scary because I think it was not too long after um, I got started. There was that article that. Um, someone had lost their key phrase that had like $2 million worth of Bitcoin in the, in the wallet. Um, Yeah.
2: I remember that like it was yesterday.
3: Um, so yeah, that, uh, it, it, I think my friend advised that he had his written on a sticky note in his like desk drawer in his house. And I was like, that. um, this, this, uh, 21st century forward-looking <laughs> technology of the future of currency, where we're writing down passcodes on sticky notes and sticking them in desk drawers.
2: <laughs> it's so they place so much emphasis on the code. It's it right. you know anyway, it freaks me out. But anyway, go ahead. So you're you sign up on Coinbase.
3: Yeah, I sign up on Coinbase. I think I initially bought Ethereum, but the token that um my friend was most interested in and was selling me on was actually chainlink and so um ironically the purpose of buying into ethereum was simply as the on ramp to um get to chainlink um and the price and where ethereum was at the time we've we've gone back and laughed um Chainlink has done well too, but I think Ethereum's growth has outpaced it and I would have been better off just buying the Ethereum and staying <laughs> in it.
2: Okay, so so you get in, you get in Coinbase, you buy the Ethereum, you're in the Chainlink. And then how quickly does it become, you know, just this is something I'm going to try to something that you're you're actively checking out.
3: Um the so this was i think call it late july august of 20 um and the fall of 20 was a pretty good run for uh the entire crypto space it was fun um there was some pretty exponential uh, performances on many coins new coins were coming out left and right um and so with anything, when you start posting wins, it's you find yourself getting more and more into it, and it feels like, golly, I timed this perfectly.
2: Wait, justin, um, are, were you posting wins?
3: Well, posting wins in the uh, I guess the figurative sense of. Okay, um, okay <laughs> all all uh, paper gains um, to this date, zero with I've never withdrawn back I've never withdrawn back to Fiat. So deposit in from fiat into crypto universe and then trading of coins. And by gains, I mean when I log in and look at the value of the coin at various times throughout 20, the coins were worth more than what I had bought them. But uh, never actually realizing those gains, so uh, many of which have, I've given back uh, and then some.
2: Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs>
3: But hey, that, I haven't sold those either, so there's still plenty of time to come back and go back up, right?
2: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I bought some Bitcoin in 2020. We're we're red on that investment, you know, so far. Plenty of plenty of time.
3: Bit, yeah, plenty of time to go back up. Today's been a bad day, and uh, today's bad. I was checking it um, earlier, and bit, it's interesting. So I use. Uh, and it's, it's, I don't even know what the name of the app is, but kind of my daily tracker. Um, I want to say it's Blockfolio, but I think it, they got acquired by somebody. But for a while there, it was, it, crypto, I would say in late 20, early 21, had become the first thing that I checked when I woke up. That was the first app I would open every morning, uh, oh when gosh. I got out of bed.
2: I love it. I love it.
3: Um, so, needless to say, the the um, the end of twenty one and so far in twenty two, it, it it quite the the good news hasn't been such that it <laughs> it's I'm following it quite as closely.
2: Okay, did you do any day trading in COVID or were you only in crypto?
3: Primarily crypto. I would say I did make um, early the early in the crypto crash. Uh, Or I'm sorry, early in the COVID crash, March um, of 20, I did make a few investments from an equities perspective, but um, for the most part, I wasn't, you know, day trading in equities.
2: Cool. Okay. Well, so you get into the crypto and you had some early success and then it's that has tapered off, or have you gotten kind of like more interested in the, in the possibilities?
3: No, I mean, one of the things about crypto that I always tell everyone, regardless of the, you know, I think we've all realized um, the get-rich-quick nature of it. It's not a reason. Um, it really was never something that attracted me to crypto. Um, I do think there's potential uh, for uh, investment returns in it, but to me, what I was most interested in the more why I guess captured me to the extent that it did was I describe it almost like a foreign language. Um, Mm -hmm. It is so tech heavy um, from a coding perspective um, that I didn't have that background of a computer programmer or um, and, and, and so continuing to read and research the first conversation that I had from my friend who was telling me about crypto I felt like he was speaking a foreign language to me and I was almost laughing at him. Um, I, you know, every other word he said, I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. and it went from that to I found myself a couple of months later explaining it to others, um, that I was talking, you know, friends or just having a conversations and it, you found yourself much more comfortable having the conversation, talking about the terminology, the different how to buy it, what it is, um, the different networks. And there's very few things that I come across, at least at this point, you know, when you're out of a traditional education, academic environment, where you're learning something so new that you feel like, you know, again, I equate it to a foreign language. Um, And that knowledge... I guess uh, taking on that new knowledge and into a, a realm that you didn't really know, and seeing the potential for how it could influence the way we interact and the business could work on a day to day basis. That aspect of it alone was what gave, you know, kind of fed my interest in it.
2: Absolutely. I've figured that or learned that so much just from trading that there's now just something interesting to talk about with other people I don't know. And prior to knowing anything about the stock market, I personally was fairly limited to like real estate, kids, school, or painting. Those were sort of my like comfort levels. But now you can go anywhere and most people know, have a general idea of what's going on in the market. And man, has it been nice to fall back on that and just know what, you know, feel comfortable knowing what I'm talking about. Agreed. Yeah. Do you, have you um, used your crypto knowledge much in your work? Or has it helped at all?
3: Um, I would say a little bit tangentially, just in terms of, um, so I'm in the real estate development space from, call it my uh, day job. Um, And I would say it's just another indicator of kind of uh, the realities of the marketplace. Um, Am I looking at, we develop multifamily apartments. Am I looking at, you know, having our residents have the ability to pay rent via Bitcoin? No. Um, uh, But I think it's more of understanding capital flow and uh, the way in a broader world um, monetary market standpoint and the potential influence of something like cryptocurrency and how it could change the way commerce is done um, and, and, the, and the movement and flow of, of capital on a world stage. So from that aspect, I think it's been helpful but in a day to day, has it influenced the way I do my do my job or my, our business operates? Probably not yet.
2: Okay, interesting, Justin. What's your general investment strategy?
3: Um, that's a good question. I would say, by nature, I'm a very risk tolerant person.
2: Right. Um, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things about you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um. And that's always been the case. Um, I would say it probably started out with a little bit of uh, perhaps driven by youth and age of life and what's to lose type mentality. Um, Obviously, having a family and um, I guess I'm getting closer to middle age than I realized now in my late 30s. Um, I probably should be a little more uh, conservative, but I find myself... Still very much risk tolerant. I would like to think I'm I take greater I uh, have greater educated risks um, that I'm ca- uh, willing to take now. Yeah. Or my education associated with those risks. Um, but uh, yeah. So um my my philosophy is, um you know obviously my first filter is making sure my family is in a uh safe and well taken care of financial position. Um, but I've got a lot of confidence in myself that uh, um, to the extent that I am, I'm, I'm willing to bet on myself in most things that I do, and to the extent that I'm wrong, um, I'll you know, figure out a way to, to make up for that.
2: This episode is sponsored by Aries, the newest trading broker offering both mobile and desktop trading. The app is built for retail traders by retail traders, and they welcome user feedback. Do you ever nail the entry on a trade but can't get filled? You won't need to worry about that anymore because they are a self-clearing brokerage direct-to-exchange with TradeStation, and they are much faster than other brokerages that route through a clearinghouse. Aries is a multi-asset platform. You are able to trade stocks, options, futures, index options, crypto, and micros. You are also able to buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies. Lastly, earn up to 5% interest on eligible crypto assets with no lockups. Aries has partners and offers many free tools such as advanced charting, trading view with unlimited charting and indicators, free options flow, dark pool data, and many more tools on their roadmap to come. This is on average a $50 to $100 per month value, all for free. Finally, you can withdraw and deposit actual crypto and transfer to the U.S. dollar and use it to trade any trading assets offered. Aries is the first brokerage to offer this. Please click the link in our bio or go to www.tradearies.com slash penny lane to sign up for an account today. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, that's the reason that I wanted to have you on is because I really respect that ability to bet on yourself. And I've I don't know very many people with the same risk tolerance that you have, and have been able to have it pay off. And you've just been—you've just been like that since a young age. Do you are you someone who invests um, in ideas?
3: Yes. uh, Well, I'm certainly willing to. Um, Uh I I think more about investing in people more so than ideas. Okay. Um, uh, Those are harder to come by and I'm actively pursuing. It, It is not uncommon for me when I meet an individual and it could be as simple as a vendor or a trade working at your personal home if someone's, whether it be their work ethic, the way they carry themselves or the way they conduct their business, if, if that stands out, um, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to make the comment of, Hey, if you're ever looking for an investor, or you're looking for someone to support you, please let me know. I'd love to have that conversation. Um, now admittedly, um, that doesn't often turn into uh, it's not like you know. Weekly, I'm getting calls of, "Hey, we you had you made this comment? I am looking for an investor. Would you invest with me?" Um, and that's for a num- number of reasons. But um, I I do take on the, the philosophy of um, I invest more in people uh, more so than ideas.
2: I love that. I love that. So, what's the coolest thing? that investing in people, what's the coolest business that investing in people has gotten you into?
3: Um, uh, I mean, just by, by nature of what I do, I mean, by far and away, my largest investment is in real estate. Um, and, um, That's something that I think that holds true is something that that is viewed as, you know, a hard asset with a lot of variables. Um, But the individuals that are driving that deal, um, whether it be a multifamily investment opportunity or a residential spec spec development, uh, it could be a single family home. Typically, the, the team members that you have on the team, whether it be the, the individuals behind the money or the design team or the project management team, um, typically uh, those the strength of those individuals um, play the, the greatest role in determining the outcome um, in, in variance to whatever market conditions exist. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to outperform the market or not, and we all know that, certain things are going on in the market that you, you know, oftentimes you don't have control of. Um, but it, it's those individuals that truly make the difference in success and failure, um, dealing with whatever those factors are.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Do you, how So you guys live in Birmingham, and then your investments in real estate, how many single-family homes do you own?
3: Um, that's a, uh, uh, I'm invested in, uh, multiple single family homes. How about that?
2: Cool. So, um, but do you rent any of those out?
3: Um, yes. Well, the one, there's a, we, uh, I have interest in a vacation home that is rented out, but it's not done. So for a typical return, um, uh, that's not the purpose of the investment. It's done so more as to kind of defray it. This one is actually in a partnership and it's to kind of defray the, um, the ownership costs that, that, um, I probably would not otherwise recommend it if it was, that just it just makes sense for that partnership.
2: Yeah, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, um, I actually was just, I had my mom on recently and was asking her. So a lot of people who are in the podcast want to make money in the stock market and then buy rental properties and like transfer the money into rental properties. And I think mm-hmm. there's so many pros and cons to that. Um, Very much so. However, you know, I'm very pro owning real estate, obviously. Um, yes. That's how, that's how like my whole entire family business. So I am into that, but I do think that that is a sort of a scary step to just invest in rental properties. I feel like you really have to know what you're doing.
3: Very much. So it's a, there's a pretty big barrier to entry there. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I, I, Echo the the sentiment of um you gotta get started somewhere and in the long run, um owning real estate that's proven to be a a pretty successful track record uh way to way to create wealth. Uh
2: Uh-huh. If you were going to talk to someone who is just graduating from college right now and looking to just, you know, make it somehow what advice would you give them as far as getting getting into an industry or sort of like what investments to get into place early in life
3: um that's a that's a tough one and when i say about say that um you know i find myself um thinking more about the cliches of you know, you've got to find something you love. Um, and while that's really hard to hear as a young person right out of school, it's so true, um, simply because, you know, we I think the older you get, the, the reality of how short life is and how much time you spend in your profession away from your family or away from your hobbies, that you better love it because um, it's... Um, you know, otherwise you're not going to be happy. Um, but absent that, that it's, it's understanding, um, trying to find a way to how can you be the most financially profitable, financially successful in your career that a lot uh, in a career path that aligns with your interests. Um, and obviously your skill sets and academic background, um, and i don't think that there's one answer to that it's different from each individual but um that's typically um the advice i give folks most of the time folks that i'm meeting with or that are come to talk with me are some in some way related to commercial real estate um and it's how do you what would you recommend what what should i do um and the answer i always give those individuals is the early on in your career, the best thing you can do is get reps. Um, and what I mean by that, especially, you know, for example, in the commercial real estate world is align yourself with a company that, um, uh, gets the highest amount of volume on, you know, complex transactions and complex deals, um, to where you have visibility into, uh, a lot of deal volume and there's so much to learn and exposure but also you you find what aspect of the business um, you know you you're more you're more interested in Um, but getting that your first job at a school shouldn't be focused on your salary or your income it should be focused on what experience you're getting call it over the next 18 to 24 months and that's that's a that's a difficult one to swallow Um, and it sounds like you know, old man preaching to young kid, oh yeah, don't worry about the money.
2: What was your first job out of college?
3: So um, mine was actually leasing apartments, um, which was a tough, so I was a finance major, um, but knew I wanted to get into real estate. Um, I had interned with a commercial brokerage firm during college, and that firm specialized in multifamily transactions, so buying and selling of apartment communities. And it was through that internship that I kind of had made the decision that I wanted to go the real estate route of investing as opposed to what I'll call the Wall Street route or stocks, bonds, equity, whatever it may be. Uh-huh. Um, and um, so I had gotten an offer from a, a a REIT that was located in Birmingham that focused on multifamily. Uh, They were a diversified REIT, but I was talking to them specifically about multifamily. And I had job offers that were kind of more in that Wall Street realm. And I think my first pay, when when I first started, I think my salary was $32,000 a year. And this was in 2005. Um, And I had turned down jobs that um right at uh, the same same time frame that would have paid me i think in the fifty five to sixty range
0: mm-hmm.
3: um so that 's quite a difference to go from fifty five to sixty or to turn those down in favor of a a low thirties starting salary um with the you know hopefully the hope and and wish that it was I was making the right decision um and so not only was the salary a uh, tough pill to swallow but i went from whatever your perception is of working really hard in school and doing well and and quote unquote graduating and moving on to a real job of uh the perception of what that job day-to-day job environment would look like and you know what your peers were perhaps doing that where you were in class with to where i was uh leasing apartments to a very um middle of the road demographic and and community um right outside of birmingham that uh, there was some soul searching for sure of is this what <laughs> did I make the right move
2: yeah 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 and then what how and then what happened
3: um so it was uh I did that for about uh um eight to nine months and at the time. Um, The company was making a big shift, and it um, coincidentally was taking place in uh, the industry in general of uh, going to an online-based operating system to manage the portfolio, Um, whereas before it was all, that information was all held on site locally um, at the asset, and then at the end of each month, you'd print a hundred, you know, pages and pages of reports, and then you know, overnight them to wherever a corporate office was, and it was going to a, an online-based platform. Um, Whereas you can imagine the typical management of these on these on-site communities were great at managing properties, but technology was something that they weren't at the forefront of. And so I kind of, uh, I guess, indirectly identified that opportunity or more more or less was just i was so eager to get involved in anything that i could um i was probably annoying as all get out to the folks (laughs) i was interacting with um with that desire to do more
2: Uh uh-huh
3: um that i became kind of the the expert on this transition process from the you know there was the it department obviously that was pushing all of this out to the communities but I would kind of came the liaison between the, uh, the on-site uh, managers and uh, of, of transitioning to this online platform. Um, and so it served as a great opportunity for me because I was very quickly kind of found myself going around the, the portfolio, which was about 130 properties around the southeast, um, and running the same exercise to help them onboard into this online platform. And I wouldn't call myself a a a computer or software or technology expert, but it was, you know, that was second nature to our generation um, Mm -hmm. of just basic familiarity with with computers. Um, And so that gave me a lot of exposure to upper level management across the portfolio um, and uh, and understanding different markets and assets and communities. And so that that really served as a springboard for me. And um, I then transitioned to Shortly thereafter, to a corporate role, was able to get more on the transaction side of the business, which, um, uh, which is where I was hoping to get to.
0: Irrational exuberance? When it comes to killer wine at drastically low prices, 30 to 70% off retail and free shipping, we live for that here at Last Bottle Wines. Whether you went long or short on GameStop, you'll need a glass of something terrifically tasty, and we've got the goods. Last Bottle is a daily wine site based in Napa, California. One wine every day at black swan event prices, usually 30 to 70% off until poof, it's gone. Whether you're a pound the table type, think ultra crisp, quaffable Sauvignon Blanc, or a dividend aristocrat, Burgundy, or Napa Cab, there simply is no better place to buy wine on the web. And they always have free shipping. Last Bottle has a deal just for Penny Lane listeners. Use promo code penny 10 to save 10% on your next order with last bottle. The code is good for one order and one order only.
2: Um, and then now to transition into sports betting, can you just tell me a little bit about your history with that?
3: Well, um, yeah, it's really fascinating. It's something (laughs) that I think from an investment standpoint, um, it's, uh, Something that I was all, I was in, interested in pretty early on, um, even back to college years. And obviously, even still to this day, sports gambling is not legal in Alabama. So it was always something I had to uh, explore my interest from just an educational and reading standpoint until I was old enough to go to Las Vegas to do it legally. Because, of course, I would never engage in anything not legal.
2: Never. Um, never. No.
3: But um, – you know, following of sports, sports has always been a passion of mine. Um, and so following of it and then the investment side of things and analysis um, and analytics and trying to, it just became a, a, a different angle. What has been fascinating to me is how in a very short time frame, um, even amongst my peer group, how sports gambling um has gone from somewhat of uh, what I'll call it's come from the gutter um, and kind of uh, something that folks wouldn't talk about, and you know it was kind of associated with uh, perhaps other vices of just things you wouldn't want you know your your mom or your dad to know about, or your yep. parents of your girlfriend, or you know it was just something you you that should be you know you should be embarrassed about. To to now it is so mainstream and I mean so mainstream. like weed like what
2: is happening our two episodes ago i um interviewed uh, we i had a very similar conversation like he he now owns like this massive weed operation in california and started growing weed in his college dorm room and we were Hmm. just talking about the transition of like that over the last 20 years
3: It's incredible. It really is. And I would say there's still a little bit of a stigma on on the marijuana front, particularly amongst generations, but it's very similar in that regard, Um, especially with the sports gambling of, you know, it, it, it was a, you know, you always had folks, whether it would be the NCAA basketball tournament or fantasy football or things like that, where most folks, it was kind of more commonplace that people would talk about it. But to where you turn on Sports Center now, or ESPN, or any, and, and oftentimes, um, you know, the the line of the game, or who's favored, or you know, what the upset was—that's part of the story now. Um, not only in professional sports, but even down to college sports now, which I can't say I would have if you'd have told me that five years ago. I'm not sure I would have believed you that we'd have come that far that quickly.
2: Yeah, I uh, was talking to someone who's involved in the space and he was saying how there's a new I'm sure you know more about it than me but there's a new technology coming out where if you're watching like the Auburn Alabama game and they're about to kick a field goal you can say to your television like I bet $200 he misses this field goal and it will the mm. TV will place the bet for you
3: Sure
2: um which is uh, exciting and terrifying at the same time to me, um like it sort making bets prior to the game or or in a way that you have to jump through more hoops than just like shouting at your television? I mean, couldn't you just see like getting a couple of drinks in and then just you know making bets much bigger than you really want to? It just seems sure. uh. Terrifying, but also like we're living in the future.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is live betting, um, and that has been something that has really advanced um, of late. And um, by the way, not to connect to a previous uh, subject, but that's something that uh, a platform like Chainlink, Mm -hmm. whose whole premise is connecting on blockchain data with off-blockchain data, um and facilitating that transaction um that is part of the reason i was so enamored with Chainlink. but um the live betting is something that um i think there's a lot there's a ton of growth in that and a lot of sports you know one of the challenges sports had um college campuses faced it as well as pro teams are with hd tvs and the size of tvs that everybody had a lot of the attendance at live events was being affected significantly, uh-huh. and so you hear that talked about in terms of like the end uh, game, the user experience, and how do that game day experience, how do how do these teams and universities, you know, they paid all this money and built these, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billion dollar stadiums, how do they make sure they're staying full? Um, and I think live betting is something that even teams and, and leagues are adopting, um, for those opportunities to capture attendance. And while you're there, um, I went to a, um, a Raiders game out in Las Vegas, uh, this fall and, and I did, and I, you depo- when you get to the, the sports book, you can deposit. They all try instead of, you know, you think of sports book in Las Vegas as going up to the ticket window and placing a wager with, you know, with a human that's there to take your wager. Mm-hmm. But when you go to any sports book in Las Vegas, there's uh, marketing materials and banners and all about their apps. And they're trying to get you to deposit money into their apps. Uh-huh. And what that allows you to do is, if you're anywhere in the state of Nevada, you can open their app. So let's say, um, uh, I think the one we were using was, I think it was Caesars, uh, may, have, may have been somebody else. But um, regardless, you open the Caesars app, you have your login information. And so I was at the Raiders game, watching it live, and exactly as you were talking about, you, know, you go to the live wager menu... And it's, what will will this drive result in a touchdown? Will it result in a field goal, a turnover? Even so far as, will the next play be a run or a pass? Uh, and so that was wild. It was the first time I'd ever, I'd heard about it, but it was the first time I'd ever seen it or, or done it, to where you could bet live while you're watching. And it was uh, definitely a, a kind of a neat, experience a a way to watch the game beyond just perhaps your fandom or your rooting interest for the team you went to watch
2: right so interesting now are you invested in any way in the like future of sports betting since you since you're involved in it since you're so involved or what am I trying to say? Since you enjoy and know so much about sports betting, have you invested in anything like DraftKings or any anything like that?
3: No. Um and I don't know if that's necessarily any uh, a comment on my belief in will they succeed or not, but I but I haven't um to date. Um and there's a bunch out there. Um to me it's a it's a space that is it is bet it is valued so heavily on growth um that that concerns me it feels over it feels overpriced to me right now and, Mm -hmm. and i get it and i understand that it the growth likely will happen i guess i'm somebody that um uh, would like to, to pay for what's there today and, and and be rewarded with the growth if it ultimately comes. And it feels like a lot of that's already priced in
0: today.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Um, is – I don't even know. Is there anything else that you want to tell me about your sports betting career that I don't know enough to ask?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, sports, sports – Gambling is something that I think you're, I mean, I feel confident you're going to continue to see it grow. And I think the transition to mainstream, you know, it's always fascinating to me. There's stats put out every year or every month, I'm sorry, on like New Jer- uh, Nevada's totals, what's reported through the Gaming and Nevada Gaming Board mm-hmm. in terms of how much is won or lost at the sports book uh, or how much the handle is and what the casinos held including at the various table games. You know, they'll break it down by, you know, slot machines, blackjack, craps, et cetera. To me, what's fascinating is as individual states have legalized it, you know, there's the belief that the only thing that propped up Las Vegas or one of the things was that it was the only place that you could legally bet on sports. And now that all these other states have legalized it, um, particularly up in the Northeast, but it's slowly growing across across the country that that is gonna you know really take there's no other reason to go to las vegas and um i think the data has shown that just the the opposite has happened that it hasn't you know significantly reduced it in any way you know if anything they're continuing to grow interesting Um, will that level off as you know right now i think you're seeing more and more um just the overall interest and the the number of individuals that are now betting is, you know, n- is grown significantly. Um, but no, it, it's fascinating. It, it's really interesting to see. There's a, a, a kind of an arms race amongst these companies to, you know, uh, is it legal in Georgia yet? I don't even know. Um, I think it is in Tennessee. I think that's the closest state. And these companies that are out there, um, whether it be FanDuel and Barstool, I think has one and Caesars has theirs. So all these online sports books, there's like a big arms race for customer growth and new customer, um, that these companies are spending a fortune in marketing in terms of advertising and traditional sources, but also, you know, deposit a hundred dollars and we'll give you a free hundred dollar match. Yeah. Um, and you know i think there's a whole industry out there of like when you when a state becomes when it first becomes legal like you if you really play the game it's kind of like a reward typically almost like a travel rewards thing if you play the game and take take advantage of all of these free offers it can become a meaningful amount of money out there um mm-hmm. you may get harassed uh with 5000 emails for the rest of your life but uh um I think that, that to me is fascinating, but it goes back to my comment of, um, why I'm not personally investing in these is it's, you know, there's a lot of debate of whether those returns are worth it. Um, because the, the money that these companies are spending to acquire new users is staggering. Mm
2: Mm-hmm really, truly fascinating is in. You're not doing anything illegal, but this is something that you're uh, involved in. You're obviously very knowledgeable about it. What do you think is live betting the the next step? Or what do you think is even like five years down the line for sports betting?
3: Um, I think you're going to continue to see states, I mean, very similar. You, you made the parallel, and I think it's a good one, to marijuana, just in terms of the legalization aspect. Mm-hmm. And you've got the lead, the states that took a, a lead on it, and then you have other states that, you know, have their own political uh, slant. And at some point, states are going to be, you know, you can go back and trace the lottery um, and very similar it's just too much money for these states to to miss out on. And so I think you'll continue to see that, um, I guess, proliferation across the the country of um, legalization of sports gambling. Um, With that becomes, you know, comes more and more challenges, um, particularly at the collegiate level of ensuring the integrity of the game. You know, you had the story – uh, a few weeks ago, now of the Atlanta Falcons player that didn't play last year, sat out, but um, he came to find out he was betting on sport. It was a uh, he, he was betting on games to include Falcons games. Um, so I think we'll keep seeing stories like that. I think it's only natural as it becomes more prevalent that you're gonna there's gonna be stories about players betting. Uh huh. And what does that do? To the concern about the integrity of the game. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about revenue, and these leagues, these schools, um, all this. It, it's uh, almost ironic that some of these, you know, uh, pillars of we will never, you know, we will never do that. You know, those go out the window very quickly when. Um, the associated dollar the temptation of adding those dollars to budgets um, and counting on the potential revenue stream when those when folks realize what those are all of a sudden um, those uh, those never wills um, change and so yeah I think you'll continue to see that
2: well Justin thank you so much for your time I enjoyed it so much and I appreciate you coming on
3: Absolutely. I feel like we were a little all over the place touching on a lot of different subjects, but um, congratulations again to you for the success of the podcast. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Uh, feel
3: honored honored <laughs> to be included and happy to come back uh, some other time.
2: Yes, please, please. I'd love, um, I'd love to get you back on with Jimmy and maybe Mac, even though Mac would like die before he would come on, but I'm going to ask him. I Perfect. think that Let's would be it. a funny episode.
3: That
2: would be fun. All right. Thank you.
3: All
0: right. Thank you. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the Penny Lane podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane podcast. The Penny Lane podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.